This is To God's Greater Glory with Pastor Chris Neiswanger, a ministry of the Memphis Apologetics Group, who are dedicated to answering the hard questions and controversies reaching the Memphis metropolitan area and the world. Our broadcast is sponsored by Graceview Church in South Haven, Mississippi. You can reach Pastor Chris and Graceview Church at graceviewsouthhaven.com. And then you come into the faith and find people that are actually religious or that go to church and that kind of thing, but they are still a little unsure about God, His identity, and His nature. Well, when we get back to a basic, most fundamental question like this of where did everything come from and what does it all mean, we tend to call that some kind of cosmological argumentation. Cosmological just coming from the word cosmos, which means everything or the universe. Right. So if you were to break it down for someone as simple as I. (laughs) Well, I don't think you're simple. You're complicated. (laughs) But uh, the thing is, uh, when you're talking to somebody and they say something like, I don't believe in God. There are basically two ways you can run with that. One, you can say, why don't you believe in God? Right. And start to feel out exactly what's bothering them in their relationship with God. Something bothering you or know someone bothered by the concept of God, creator, the I am? Hello, I'm Carl Casperson, and that is Pastor Chris, and today we are starting a two-part episode on the cosmological argument, which helps seek answer probably the simplest and sometimes problematic questions of what is everything for and why am I here? Easy enough, right? Well, let's get into it. Chris, good to see you. Thank you, Carl. So good to be here. This is our inaugural radio cast. Right. It's yeah. going to be on all media. Yeah. I'm excited. I love apologetics. Why don't you uh, give us a forecast of what's coming down the pipe here? Well, this is going to be a program presented by the Memphis Apologetics Group, and what it is is a group of interested pastors, theologians, and thinkers in the Memphis area that are all coming together to present apologetic values in a way that people can understand. In other words, you know, what's going on is the ideas and the influences of even the big city are coming into the area right now, and sometimes it's hard to know how to answer some of the things that are being thrown at the church, you know, things about atheism, things about morality, things about the nature of theology and history. So the Memphis Apologetics Group tries to answer some of those uh, questions. Fantastic. Love it. I think uh, apologetics is a, uh, a necessary uh, sword. Uh, I don't want to use the word weapon so much, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it, it, the, uh, like you said, today's world is even more complicated than just five years ago. And uh, the necessity for apologetics is great. Yeah, and you know, it gives us new opportunities because people are asking new questions to reach out to people that maybe before we wouldn't have been able to have this kind of a conversation with. And yet at the same time, you know, our old questions about the existence of God, the validity and historicity of the Bible, the person and work of Jesus Christ, our questions and our answers haven't really changed for the last 2,000 years. That's right. Things get repackaged with a nice bow, some new wrapping paper, but still the same content to, uh, to wrestle with. Hey, let's go through some of the things uh, you you have in mind. Well, I thought for the uh, first program, we would start talking about the cosmological argument, because kind of within Christian apologetics, that's kind of the the big dog in the room. That's where most things start, and even where most conversations start with average people on the street. And I think a lot of people may may not even be familiar with that that term. Well, I know it's the big $5 term, cosmological, you know, but it comes down to ideas that we all intuitively understand. Okay, hit me. The cosmological argument, especially as it came through the 1200s with thinkers like Thomas Aquinas, 
is just understanding that the existence of God is necessary inference from the existence of things around us. In other words, you look around and you see this room and you see this building right? and you see the ground that the building is on. And these are the kinds of things that you wouldn't think to yourself just happen automatically or accidentally or happen by themselves without a previous cause that even planned and brought these things into being. So when you get back to the idea of existence itself, the entire universe itself seems to be the kind of a thing which needs a sufficient cause behind it. In other words, we didn't just end up here by accident. Oh, dear. Now, (laughs) that seems somewhat obvious, but if if you think we are unique uh, creatures and that I don't think too many bears or family pets consider such a yeah a lofty concept, right? Sure. You know, so you get into this conversation actively with people that would consider themselves atheists, right? right? And, uh, you know, we all might have somebody in the family that struggles with the existence of God, mm-hmm. and this is a good conversation to have with them. It's necessary. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Then you have people that are more agnostic. They don't consider themselves an atheist. They believe there's some God, but they don't necessarily think they know much about him. Right. And then you come into the faith and find people that are actually religious or that go to church and that kind of thing, but they are still a little unsure about God, his identity, and his nature. Well, when we get back to a basic, most fundamental question like this of where did everything come from and what does it all mean, we tend to call that some kind of cosmological argumentation. Cosmological just coming from the word cosmos, which means everything or the universe. Right. So if you were to break it down for someone as simple as I. (laughs) Well, I don't think you're simple. You're complicated. (laughs) But uh, the thing is, uh, when you're talking to somebody and they say something like, I don't believe in God, there are basically two ways you can run with that. One, you can say, why don't you believe in God? Right. And start to feel out exactly what's bothering them in their relationship with God. Now, there's this strange thing that happens in Christian theology where we, our understanding of people is that ultimately everybody does know that God exists. Now, this is contrary to a common person's understanding of this, but it's not contrary to what people understand from having read the Bible. The Bible teaches that God has given all men everywhere a witness of his existence and some of his invisible attributes, and that people come to a place of not believing in God by falling away from a knowledge they have, not by not having enough knowledge or information. Oh, yeah. In other words, you know, in in the Christian understanding of a person becoming an agnostic or an atheist, it's really a heart problem more than an intellectual problem or a head problem. Now, many times people will create all kinds of arguments to insulate themselves from the existence of the God that they know does exist, but, you know, uh, that means that we're going to have to do some heavy lifting. And so when we get to the place of saying either, why do you not believe in God? In other words, do you have reasons, or is it just something you don't know about or something you won't admit into your awareness? Or do you want to hear arguments for the existence of God? Somebody's going to have to go somewhere pretty fast. Now, really, contrary to what a lot of people say, there's nothing wrong with going straight to the Bible and reading from them the Bible and the witness about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. Okay, that would seem maybe in uh, a a working discussion with an agnostic or unbeliever that you... Is is it all right to jump to the concept of Christ right away, or should you work up to that? Or um, There's a lot of different ways to do that. Here's the thing. When you're talking about dealing with somebody's concerns 
or even distance from God. It's a very personal thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting a book or having somebody read a book about God, Mm -hmm. but it does not tend to bring somebody all the way into the faith. And the reason why is because it's very individual and each person is unique. And so the concerns they have and the things that they're thinking about the existence of God tend to be different on a person-to-person basis. In other words, it's not a one cure uh, solves all problems type right. of problem. Uh, so some people, they're, they're, the things that they're struggling with are scientific. Another person, it's spiritual. Mm-hmm. Another person, it's moral. Another person, it's about the Bible. Another person, it's about something Jesus said or did right. that they find concerning. So approaching it that way uh, really helps out a lot. Now, But here's something tends to only be known by Christians, and that's that the Bible is a spiritual book mm-hmm which God tends to use as the means of bringing about the conversion of someone's soul. Right. And so ultimately, all of the fine-sounding arguments that we can put together from philosophy and every other source will not actually bring a person to the true knowledge of God. Right. It just helps to take away impediments or to bring somebody a little closer. Sooner or later, the end game is always going to be a confrontation with Jesus. That's ultimately all we have. Right. Yeah. And so when you get into uh, the Bible itself or you quote someone the Bible, the reason there's nothing wrong with that is that is what God will use to bring about the conversion of the soul. Not our philosophy and such, but philosophy has its place as a handmaiden to theology or a secondary thing, which can be helpful at some times and in some places. So uh, why is there a lack of confidence, generally speaking, within the evangelical realm of bringing up the Christ and his work? Well, you know, I think a lot of people have been told something which is inherently untrue, that there's something tricky or against the rules about going straight to Jesus right. rather than through philosophy or arguments, right. and that's never actually been true. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are brought to Christ through the preaching of the Word of God, not through scientific or philosophical arguments. Right. And I say that as somebody who's all my life studied the scientific and the philosophical arguments. There's not a problem with doing that, but, you know, theology is its own thing. And evangelism is a real thing that does not include peripheral matters such as philosophy or scientific argumentation. Okay. In other words, the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the Word, and that is his singular medium. Uh, So the Christian kind of inherently understands that, but they know that the world does not. So uh, would I say that if somebody wants uh, something to happen in a science class at the university or something like that, that the thing they better do is raise their hand and stand up and start preaching the gospel in the science class, you know? (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) There might be other questions in the science class that somebody might have to prepare themselves to be able to answer. Right. So that they can not only give witness to Christ, but do it in a way that is both intelligible and winsome, right? Ah, winsome. It's a popular word. Well, the reason that winsome is popular is because it can easily be done in a way that's derogatory or insulting or demeaning or, you know, so it's not that there's not going to be an offense to the cross. Inherently, the gospel is offensive because it says to everybody, you are in need and you're not sufficient in and of yourself. But there's this way that preachers and teachers have had this talent for making the gospel much more offensive than it needs to be, <laughs> and that's a different kind of a problem. And that, that, that is the typical, from our perspective, the straw man that you see in, in science fiction or, or in any television film, there's always the, 
That's uh, always the story they're that's telling. Always, yes, to, that's always the yes. I, yeah, if you see a preacher and he's in a contemporary television show, he's probably crazy or evil. <laughs> and I say that as you know a, a preacher, but uh, you, you mentioned something that that I know in my own dealings and in, in speaking to my friends online and in work um, that this is a matter of the heart. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and I have, there's always a, a, a moment to where I'm trying to convince my unbelieving friends that you, you say you're not religious. You say you don't worship, but you do aspire for things. You have hopes, you have dreams. Right. How would you convince someone that they are flexing these worship muscles with their heart, regardless of what they claim to be? Well, this True is a real not. difficulty. Sometimes if you know someone well enough to have this conversation, which the average person on the street that you just end up talking to about God, which I know most people don't, but I have those conversations all okay. the time. Uh, if you know somebody well enough to have that interpersonal conversation that goes to the next level, telling them that they don't really have any reason to have hope or to think well of the future oh. or to love their spouse or to care about their children or to care about good and evil in the world, or to care about justice, social or otherwise, that there's no reason for any of that, and really it's contrary to their stated worldview. That's a, that's a powerful conversation. That's a and hard I've seen a lot of people have to bite the bullet mm-hmm. and say, it's all illusory, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no life, there's no hope. Or they have to recognize that really the kind of a person they are and the way that they view and interact with the world requires something much more like the Christian worldview than it does the atheist worldview. That all the time. That yes, right. Like what? in other words, they're living like Christians, you know, what? even if they're saying they're not. Right? Oh, how, how many times have I? You love your kids. Why do you love your kids? Yeah. What why, is what is the thing well, of love? Why would you them? do that? Well, perhaps it's just you know a, a mistake of this of the <laughs> cerebrum and the cerebellum making sure that you nurture the young to pass on your genes <sighs> to the next. You know that's kind of ridiculous, right? That's not even why dogs love puppies, right? <laughs> Much less why the human being actually loves their children. And then you know why pass on your genes? Why perpetuate the race? If the entire human race ended five minutes from now, it wouldn't make any difference in the atheist worldview. There's no reason to live. There's no reason to exist. There's no reason to perpetuate things. There's certainly no reason for community and life and love and happiness and interaction. It's all just, you know, a joke that the limbic system played on us, right? (laughs) It's like, you know, so you do, if you can have that conversation with people, you can get into the madness of atheism, which Mm. is that you live a life by necessity completely contrary to your stated intent and what you say you think the world is. Would you call it a cognitive dissonance? Yeah, you know, you have to live (laughs) a way that's just different from what you say you think. And Uh, there have been entire, you know, currents within culture, especially in Europe, when they really did bite the bullet and say, look, we all evolve from frogs and fish. mm -hmm. There's no God, there's no future, there's no nothing. Now let's have some tea and some Chinese food because we're just going to, that's all we're going (laughs) to, this is what our entire culture is going to come down to. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, those kind of cultures that fall away from the faith, historically, they tend to move right back into it because that kind of a worldview is just not sufficient for our happiness, health, and well-being in the world. We're just not that kind of a thing that can live consistently with atheism. So this cosmological argument is uh, in the air we breathe it. It's it's pervasive, right? It's 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 sure. It's yeah. the big topic. It's the little 
voice? In the history of the Christian church, it tended to be the big one. Mm-hmm. Even from the first couple of centuries, you know, Justin Martyr and then later Augustine, they didn't formulate it or lay it out as plainly as later generations. Okay. But they certainly used the fact that, look, you need an excuse for a universe. You can't just take it that, look, it's all here and that's got to be sufficient. Everybody recognized that there has to be a sufficient cause for the kind of a world we see and the things that we see in it. Right. And that was powerful at that time, but it's not actually less powerful today. We just get confronted more with the answers to that. Okay. Like, you know, one of the big arguments against it that uh, Neil Tyson DeGrasse and other atheists have brought is, well, okay, so you have a cause for the universe, but what's your sufficient cause for your cause? Why do you have an uncaused cause? Isn't the universe sufficient in itself to be its own cause? Okay. And the answer to that is, well, you know, uh, historically, in philosophy and science, no. (laughs) It's not sufficient in itself. The thing you're questioning is not only what is the cause of this coffee table or this room, but what is the cause of everything as one thing? Right. And, you know, I remember this. uh, I uh, I actually got to hang out with John Cleese one time in in a debate in California, and William oh, nice. Lane Craig was there, and he was debating a famous uh, atheist philosopher from uh, uh, Ohio, University of Ohio, and the philosopher from the University of Ohio finally had to come down and admit that he thought that just from time to time, matter just popped into existence for no reason. I, where else could it come from? With no cause. It just <laughs> happened. It just spontaneous. And so, you know, we asked him, well, you know... Uh, why does it happen? How does it happen? He said, well, it has to happen because the universe is here. So that means they just come to exist uh, on their own for no reason. Uh, Everyone in the room, even the atheists, were kind of, oh, you know, nobody wanted that answer because that answer kind of gives away the entire argument that you really just don't want to come to terms with the necessity of the fact that every caused thing has a sufficient cause for itself. Because, you know, as, as Aquinas said it in the 1200s, uh, everybody kind of knows whether they admit it or not that at that point, you're talking about God or something so much like God yes. that to not call it God is kind of playing a game. And, and tying back to what you said earlier, if, if someone truly starts to live out uh, a denial of of God, if someone truly lives out their life as the universe being meaningless, those people tend to get locked up at some point. Maybe not well, all, but every but, once in a while, somebody is living, <laughs> willing to live consistently with their presuppositions. That's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, with their presumptions about the world, and you know, every once in a while, they end up eating some folks. But you know, there have been. You remember the Huns? Oh. Like they had a great philosophy of you know the purpose of life is to you know conquer people and like take their women and eat their food, uh-huh. right? Yeah. But they, you know, their culture lasted hundreds of years. It was not over in 15 minutes. But they were the scourge and terror of the entire world during the time. Every once in a while, you'll get somebody that will live consistently with the presumption that all we are is animals that need to eat. (sighs) Right? But it's terrifying to everyone. Yeah. Because everyone has this basic presumption that there is an actual good and evil and justice in the world. But good and evil and justice require a being sufficient to provide law and order. Like, you know, mathematics... One plus one equals two, right? Well, so we all, far. Yeah, we all kind of agree on that, uh-huh. right? For the most part. People that don't are seen as being a little weird. Okay. Because one plus one is equal to two. Mm-hmm. And when did it become two? 
Is that a trick question? It's a classic old <laughs> Socratic question from the from three, four hundred years before Jesus that the ancient Greeks used to ask. And the basic answer was it never became, it always was. Okay. So even when there was no universe, one plus one was equal to two. It's an internal abstract principle in the mind right. of mathematics. It never came to be, it never can cease being. Even the laws of logic are eternal and unchanging, and they apply to everywhere in the universe at the same time. Uh, so it's a very difficult thing to say that there isn't something eternal, even if it is the unchanging laws of thought, that human beings, for some inexplicable, inexplicable reason, we actually think in terms of eternal, unchanging thought. We can't help it. We, that's the only way we can think. <laughs> well, you can think a different way, but everybody thinks you're crazy, yeah. right? <laughs> Right. I mean, isn't if you meet somebody and you're like, that dude is totally unreasonable. Is that ever a compliment? Uh, no. <laughs> it's never a compliment. No, it's it's right? a sad state of affairs. Yes. So eternal, unchanging ideas that we can actually grasp and interact with require some kind of an eternal, unchanging mind to carry them because they don't exist out here in the physical world at right. all. They only exist in the spirit, so to speak. And so for a lot of people, that was one of the main arguments for the existence of a spirit or a mind, or a soul, is that we have things happening inside of us that even when we crack open the old uh, cucumber there, yes. and we look inside, you can't see logic, or reason, or mathematics, or eternal unchanging principles. Right. They are not in there. It's just a sack of meat. It doesn't actually think. It interacts with the body. But it, it doesn't say, you know, I love my mother. It doesn't say, you know, I hate uh, chocolate cake. It doesn't do those things. So when you get to eternal, unchanging principles, you get to an eternal, unchangeable mind that is capable of thinking them because they're not part of the physical world at all. Mm. So when we say that everything has a cause, that's not exactly what we're saying. We're saying that the physical universe, everything physical in the universe has a cause and it has to have a cause other than itself in order to explain it. That's a lot, but but <laughs> but, but, it, but it's important. I mean, it, it's... Uh, yeah. It's... Do you have any recommendations for our listeners regarding uh, how to step even more into this concept and, and to integrate it into their own working of, of uh, Gushin? Well, we're going to have a lot of upcoming events with the Memphis Apologetics Group. We meet at different places all over the city at right. churches and different groups. And, and we get together and we actually have these conversations with each other. And we bring up different subjects having to do with theology and apologetics. And we train you in those. But also, we have the conversation with anybody that comes. Are skeptics welcome? Skeptics are, are, are encouraged. Nice. Because skeptics are the future Christians. That's the hey, way that's always worked through history. They might not like to hear that. But. Yeah, well, I mean, I find <laughs> that there's a kind of skeptic that does not want to talk about these subjects at all. And there's another one that really would be interested in seeing if they can be answered. That's now, great. that's the person that even against what they think might be being encouraged by God to enter into some kind of dialogue or discussion. And in general, Christians know where those things are going to lead. That's great. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. So are you the skeptic that is looking to have some questions answered? Once again, if you are in the Memphis area or willing to make it out to the Memphis area for live events or to just contact, you can reach the Memphis Apologetics Group at www.facebook.com slash Memphis Apologetics. That's www.facebook.com slash Memphis Apologetics. Some past topics wrestled by the group have been UFOs and the Bible, debating law and ethics, 
biblical inerrancy and infallibility, eschatology, that is end times theology, early church heresies, the theology of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, who, of course, those guys are responsible for the line, the witch in the wardrobe and some film franchise called Lord of the Rings and that and more at the Memphis Apologetics Group. Well, that was a good discussion, a good start exploring the cosmological argument. And in the next episode, we'll look at how contemporary thought affirms or dismisses the argument. Here's a sneak peek audio clip from part two of the cosmological argument. So whatever we talk about, when we talk about whatever the first cause of the universe it is, it being a sufficient cause for the universe itself and everything in it, it also has to be sufficient to explain man and consciousness and mathematics and the eternal unchangeable rules of logic that we're all bound to, right? So that's the thing about cosmology. The universe exhibits artifacts of something other than itself. It's not just that something had to be powerful enough to create the universe. It had to be intelligent or smart enough to form the kinds of things that we see in the universe. Ultimately, most atheists and agnostics and skeptics don't usually like to see it presented this way. No, they don't. But the space shuttle and the satellites that go around the Earth on a 24-hour basis, all of those are simply accidents. They're the consequence of accidents. I mean, I can't build one. Just because we have cool stuff doesn't mean I know how to do it. Well, it's really saying that cell phones and satellites and... uh, nuclear energy facilities, all of these are simply effects of accidental causes in the void. Is nothing smart enough to create something, anything? In Rodgers and Hammerstein's Sound of Music, there's a line in the song, something good that says, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. This is Carl Kasperson, hoping you come back for the second discussion and more apologetic content from To God's Greater Glory and take away some tools for reasoning in and out of season for your faith. This has been To God's Greater Glory with Pastor Chris Neiswanger, a ministry of the Memphis Apologetics Group sponsored by Grace View Church in South Haven, Mississippi. You can reach Pastor Chris and Grace View Church at graceviewsouthhaven.com.